You guys can take a seat. How are we feeling this morning? Oh, yes. Every time. What is that? <laughs> I've never felt like I've had more control over a group of teenagers than by just going, oh. Um, you guys feeling good? <laughs> Literally, this is unbelievable. Uh, you guys feeling good this morning? Good. Um, hope you guys have had a good week. Um, I have a question for you guys. Where are all my Marvel people at? Hey, are there any DC comic people in the building? Wow. Now I know how you guys truly feel. Well, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. We all know that quote. It comes from where? Spider-Man. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Tobey Maguire is the best Spider-Man. <clears throat> um, by far. And some people try to make the distinction like, oh, no, uh, Tom Holland's actually a better Peter Parker, right? Um, but I don't really know what that means, right? It's like they're both Spider-Man. Um, clearly, regardless of how you think uh, Tobey Maguire did in Spider-Man 3, which was pretty bad, um, he still is the best Spider-Man, in my opinion. Um, and uh, not only that, um, there's this line, and we were just talking about it, right? There's this line in that movie where Peter Parker's talking to the most benevolent man known to humankind named Uncle Ben, and he's having this conversation with Uncle Ben, and Ben tells him, and he says, with great power comes great responsibility. And in that moment, Peter Parker kind of responds in, a, in an interesting way See, up until that moment, Peter was acting in a very selfish way. He got these powers, but he was using them not for the greater good. He was actually just using them for himself. You guys remember the movie. Actually, most of you guys were born after the movie came out, uh, which is insane to me, um, 2001. But in the movie, Peter, you know, he, he has these powers, and right off the bat, he wants to impress Mary Jane, not my favorite Mary Jane, got to be honest. Um, but he wants to impress her, and so he's trying to get this car, and so he, he enters this wrestling contest um, where he fights a guy named Bonesaw. And um, just this whole, this, this whole series of events where Peter Parker is living and using his powers for his own good, and Ben has to remind him, man, you've got it wrong. You're using your powers for your own good, but you got to remember that with great power comes what? Great responsibility. And it got me thinking about just superheroes in general, right? And as we look at these heroes, we recognize, man, and we look at Marvel and all these people, we recognize, man, sometimes their, their lives kind of suck, right? Like, we, we can pretend and say that, like, yeah, well, like, I'd love to be a superhero, but when you really, really think about it, 
Their life is marred by pain and by suffering and by um, having these intense responsibilities that most of us would honestly just rather not face on a daily basis. Yet at the same time, at the same time, we see them as heroes. We look at them, we say, that's the person I want to be. I look up to that person, whether or not they're real. I still think they're awesome because they're superheroes. And I, as I think about this, man, I have to be honest and say that the reason that most of us look up to superheroes, the reason that most of us actually find superheroes engaging, and we want to hear about their stories, and we want to, to emulate them in a certain way is because their life has this epic purpose. Their life has this significant meaning to it and this significant purpose. And I don't know about you guys, but purpose is a pretty big deal to most human beings. In fact, most of us would recognize that like we've asked the question many, many times, what is my purpose? I don't know where I'm going to go to college. I don't know what my career is going to be in. I don't know, etc. And as we ask that question, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is the reason that I exist? And there's a couple different answers, obviously, that you probably hear um, from friends or from the world. And a lot of times, a lot of people think their purpose is just to be comfortable, right? Is to surround themselves with things that make their life easy and comfortable, But many of you guys lived long enough or even seen different celebrities, whatever it might be, to know that that's absolutely not the case. That as you go through life and you try to acquire all these things and you try to to acquire all this wealth so that you surround yourself with these things, that somehow that will give you purpose and that is your purpose. Like I said, most of you guys know that's not true. I mean, Rich was just talking about this interview that Tom Brady had not that long ago, where Tom Brady's talking about the fact that he has all these rings, and he's got the amazing family, and, he, and he, he's famous, and he's known, he's a household name, and he himself asked the question, man, there's got to be more than this. I don't feel fulfilled in any way. I feel like man, I'm still desperately wanting something to call my purpose. And I know that that's where many of you guys are. Even w- within the church, within Christianity, within the lives of believers, you guys even ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Because you might say that, well, my purpose is actually just to be aligned with God's purpose. And so I want to live a life that honors him. I want to live a life that pleases him. Yet you're still asking the question, what is God's will for my life? And the question remains, what is my purpose? And so um, there's so many questions that riddle our minds with regards to purpose. The Westminster Catechism, there's this famous, famous quote that it says, and it says this. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God. The chief end of man. All of our purposes wrapped up, if you could summarize everything that's important about our lives, it's that we would give God glory. But even as we read that, right, 
And for some of us who maybe either believe in God or some of us maybe in this room that don't believe in God, even as we ask that question, we still might wonder, and it's like, okay, but how do I do that? God has made me specific uh, in a specific way, and he's given me certain gifts. How should I glorify God? And the another question, perhaps the more important question is, man, if my purpose is to glorify God, then why am I not in heaven right now? The moment that I gave my life to Christ, the moment that I surrendered, fell on my knees and said, God, save me. The moment that I turned and repented for my sin and followed Jesus Christ, why was I not just taken, zapped up into heaven, where then I could glorify God more perfectly without all these distractions, without all these things? Why am I not there with him right now? And the answer is that God has given us a mission. God has given us a mission. The reason why you're not in heaven right now proclaiming and worshiping him in his presence away from this world is because God has given every single one of us a mission. And if there's anything that you could take away from this message is that. And when you ask the question, what is God's will for my life? What is my purpose here? Your purpose is to live a life on mission for God. That's your purpose. And you might think, well, what if my purpose is just to, to find comfort? Then, friend, you'll be sorely disappointed. You're seeking comfort. You quickly recognize that that does not satisfy Viktor Frankl, he's this famous author, and Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor, right? And so he was a Jewish man, he was a psychologist, and um, he wrote this book, this famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's a very, very famous book. And in the book, Viktor Frankl's asking the question, man, what is the purpose of our lives? Because as he was in the Holocaust, as he saw these atrocities and this evil take place, man, he started to ask that question. And he came up with this quote, and it's an amazing quote, and it says, it says this. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. I'll say that again. Life is never made unbearable. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. And so for you guys, as you wrestle with these thoughts about what is God's will for my life, and maybe you want to, to seek a purpose in which you want to gain wealth, you want to have a good job and security, and, you, and God has saved you for a life of just going to church one time a week, where then you tithe, but then the rest of the week you're able to live in your house alone, surrounded by things that you want. It's no wonder why, man, the statistics of young believers that are in high school, the moment they reach college... It just plummets. And I got to believe it's because we don't understand that God has given us a mission. It's not just about going to church. And church is so important. I'm going to touch on that in a moment. What we need to understand is that we're not just to live an ordinary life as believers. 
God has given us a mission. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And this uh, verse is coined famously, and you guys might not know this, but this, vo- this verse is basically called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is used commonly to help give us an idea of what it means to live a life on mission, what it means to live missionally. And so we're going to go through it and we're going to dissect it in a second. Before I do that, let's just read it. Give me a thumbs up when you guys are there. Awesome. Let's read it together. Start in verse 18. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we just ask that you would speak through your word this morning. God, whatever we have in our hearts that are idols that we place in order of importance before you, God, I pray that you would help us to remove those things. God, we live in a world filled with idols, idols of comfort, satisfaction, false senses of meaning and purpose and success and achievement. God, knowing full well that those things in themselves aren't bad, but without you, they mean absolutely nothing. And without our purpose here on earth, we'll live and die And look back on our lives and ask ourselves a question, who did I live for? So God, I pray that you would challenge us this morning with that reality. As we look in your word, would you speak through it? God, it wouldn't be my words, but it would be yours. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can I tell you a story about how I was super uncomfortable? one of these days, it was back 2014, I was 16 years old, okay, and I was with a few of my buddies, and we decided to go on a hike, um, and we decided to go on a hike in the Topanga Mountains, it's kind of by Santa Monica, um, and so we decided, man, we're going to go on this hike, um, we're going to do this thing, and we're going to have fun, um, as young men do, and so we're walking on this path, right, and we started the hike, we're walking up, we're walking up, and we're talking, and then we see a fence, And it's very easy to hop. And not only do we see a fence, we see a no trespassing sign. And as a young teenage man does, what do they do? They hop the fence. And we, uh, we decided to hop the fence. And so we started walking on these trails, right? And so on the other side of the fence were these systems of trails. And so we were just walking on them, going um, up and down um, the side of this canyon. And it was really awesome. We were, and then we started running into these gates, right? And it was really interesting because there would just be a door, like a gate, and 
on either side of it, there, there was no fence. So you could literally just walk around the gate. And so it was kind of weird, kind of creepy. It was like, why is there this, just this door right here that I could just walk around? I'm not going to walk through it. Um, I don't claim that energy. No, but as, I, as we were walking on these different pathways, we were making our way um, through this canyon. And then finally we get to this spot me and my buddies, we get to this spot where there is a fence on either side of the gate. And the gate is locked, and so we really couldn't go any further. In fact, we were like, we should probably turn around. And I'm the first one in line, so I'm the first one to the gate. My buddy Trent and then my buddy Lincoln is behind him. And so we're like in front of this gate. And then as I'm looking at the lock, I hear this voice. I hear Lincoln's voice. He's the third one back. He says, hold up, hold up, we're trying to leave, we're trying to leave, we're trying to leave. And in that moment, I'm thinking, what is happening? Am I about to die right now? And um, he's saying, he keeps saying that, like, we're trying to leave, and I just slowly turn around, and what do I see? I see a man, a short man, and he's holding a machete. And he's standing in front of my buddy Lincoln, and he's just standing there, and he's not really saying anything, and he's just staring at Lincoln, and Lincoln's just trying to talk to this guy and be like, we're trying to leave. And in that moment, I'm thinking like, dude, I'm about to brawl to the death right now. <laughs> like, I'm literally about, I'm literally about, me and my buddies are about to, to fight for our lives, right? And the funny thing is this, you guys will never believe what I was holding in my hand as, a, as something to protect myself. Does anybody remember those selfie sticks from 2014? <laughs> Literally holding a selfie stick. Before you judge me, this is 2014, okay? And so I was 16 years old. Those things were cool. Um, but as I was sitting there, I'm literally just holding a selfie stick and gripping it as hard as I can, just ready. I'm like, I'm ready to protect. But the thing was, I was in the back. And so if anything, like I'm not going to do anything. My other um, buddies were huge, and they're football players, and... Um, Obviously, um, if anything actually happened, they would be the first to take action. But what ended up happening is the guy just kind of followed us out. We just started, we just walked around him. He didn't say a word. He was just walking behind us until we left and hopped over the fence we initially hopped over. And um, in that moment, right after that, you know, we were all talking about that. I was like, dude, we could have died. Like, literally, we were thinking, like, I was thinking of my mom, I was thinking of my family, I was thinking of my bros, um, uh, and we were just talking the whole time after that, like, and we started to ask the question, like, man, was our life worth living up until that point? And it's funny, because, like, I know that's such a weird transition, but it truly sparked this discussion amongst me and my friends, like, man, how have we been living? Have we been living for ourselves or have you truly been living for the Lord? And from that moment on, we, man, we were like, man, we're going to live for God. We had this near-death experience. We're not afraid of death anymore. Um, and then the next day we were. And so, but anyway, you know, why do I tell that story? Well, it's because of the fact that we need to continually be asking that question. Continually be asking that question. And as we ask that question as anybody who professes to believe in Jesus should do, is to look in God's word for clarity and for, for
for answers to those questions. And sometimes, man, we, we look for these, like, moments with God where it's like, man, God will show up and you'll give me this feeling of, like, this is what you're going to do. But more often than not, that's not the way it works. In fact, more often than not, it's, it's not this over-spiritual thing in which we're all of a sudden brought into our calling as a pastor or as a doctor or as whatever God has called us to do. More often than not, we just need to go to God's word, and we just need to seek it. And so that's what we're doing today. Verse 18, the way that I want us to understand our mission, the way that I want us to understand that God has called us on mission to live a life for him is in four different ways, and it's through the questions who, what, where, and why. More specifically, who is it that calls us to go? Who is this God the creator that is calling me to go and make disciples. What is it that he has called me to? Like actually, how is that supposed to look? How am I supposed to actually live out this calling of living a life on mission? Where am I to go? And why? Most important thing, why am I to go? Why am I to go? First, we're going to discuss who is it that calls us. And so in verse 18, we see clearly, we know who calls us. It says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Now instantly, as we read this, we need to ask ourselves a question. When Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what is he saying? Because it seems like Jesus had authority even before he went to the cross. It seemed like Jesus, when he was healing these people, when he was, when he was turning water into wine, when he was healing blind eyes, that Jesus had authority when he was calming the storms, that even the wind and the waves obeyed him. That Jesus had authority. But in this moment, there's something unique. He is proclaiming to his disciples, all authority has been given on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and then when we see therefore, we need to ask what just happened. Because it's pointing to something that just happened. And so when Jesus says that go therefore and make disciples, he's saying in light of who I am, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I just rose from the dead. And I am appearing before you in power. You thought that I was in the grave still. But I'm actually appearing before you as the risen son of God holding the keys to death and life itself. And when he says something like all authority, what does that sound like? What sounds like Jesus is calling himself what? A king. And he is saying, I have the authority. You've seen me just raised from the dead. You thought I was in the grave, but I'm here. And guess what? I am the king. And what are you to do? And I'm giving you orders now to go and make disciples of all nations. And so some of us, man, we don't see this as a command. Most of us see this as just something that we're encouraged to do, to go and make disciples. Yet if you were there in that moment, would you really take it as just a good piece of advice to live a life that is full of meaning? 
No, you would take it. I'm going to do whatever this guy says because he is truly the son of God. He has authority and he is my king. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. Jesus is our king. Do you live like it? Do you actually see him as your king? And as a result, live a life on mission for him. We've got to be asking that question every day. Because if we don't, then we'll forget. The greatest danger for you and I, and we live in a world where Christians are persecuted every day. Christians are persecuted every single day. I read a, an article about China and um, the CPC, the Chinese, or the CCP, yes, the Chinese Communist Party. And what's happening in China is that they're taking all the Bibles that are being sent over there and they're rewriting them to help align politically with what the CCC, CCP believes. And so soon, if this trajectory continues, the only Bibles that could be possessed legally by these citizens of China are ones that have been rewritten. And some of the things that I've seen that have been rewritten are just astounding. Man, just completely changing the meaning of God's word. And not only that, but these Chinese believers are meeting in underground places and caves and garages because they don't want to preach anything other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they have this fire in them. Right. They have this fire in them that says, absolutely not. No political party is going to decide what my king has said. And so, the danger for you and I right now, and I'm telling you this, and it might seem like we're heading into a, a time of more persecution for Christians, into a time where Christians might uh, be more ostracized, even in America, yet our greatest danger is not physical harm from persecution. It's not being thrown in jail for persecution. Our greatest danger is the passion for the gospel growing cold in our hearts. Why? Because we're surrounded by all these things we think we need. We're surrounded by comforts. And it's often coined, C.S. Lewis says this, that comfort is one of the greatest dangers to the Christian life. Why? Because it, it tricks your brain into thinking you actually don't need him. And let me tell you, you do. And not only do you need him, he is commanding you to live a life for him. So when we read this, we need to know who it is that is calling us to go. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, this famous, famous passage where Isaiah is before the Lord. He sees this vision, and he sees the Lord, and he says, I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord, and he was high, and he was lifted up. And in that moment, I got to think that Isaiah didn't really have words to describe what he was saying. So he was just saying he was, he was high and he was lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And not only that, but there were these creatures around him that we call the burning ones that were singing his praises 
24-7 singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what is Isaiah's response to this? Isaiah's response is, and, and Rich talked about this, he, he falls to his knees and he says, woe is me, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He instantly sees his own depravity. He instantly sees, man, his own need for God. At the same time, he wants to distance himself from him because he's too great. Not only that, later on in the passage, God asks a question that he already knows the answer to. He says, whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? God in his sovereignty, he knows. He knows exactly who's going to go for him. Yet he still asks the question, why? Because he wants a response from Isaiah. Because he wants to hear Isaiah say, I will go. Send me. And that's what Isaiah says in response. He says, for my eyes have seen the Lord. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever he says. And for some of us, man, we don't have a high enough view of God. We don't actually see him as high and lifted up. And that when he tells us through the scripture to go and do something, we can take it or leave it. That's not the way it works. And I'm telling you, the believers that are persecuted around the world, that are zealous for the gospel, that are sharing the gospel in the face of great danger, know who they serve. That's not the only thing that I want to focus on. We know that God, throughout the Bible, is a God who sends Moses. God appeared before Moses, the burning bush, and he says, I've heard the cries of my people, Moses, go. And then Moses responds, why me, God, why me? Who am I to do these things? And God didn't ask that question. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you to go. What does Moses do? Eventually he lives out in obedience and God uses him to take the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. God is a God who sends and he is a holy God. And guess what? He is sending you. Why do I know that? Because in the passage it says, make disciples. And he's speaking to disciples. And guess what? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple as well. What does that even mean? Some of us don't even know what a disciple means, and that's okay. I'm going to tell you, a disciple is a student. A disciple is a student of what? Of God's word. Somebody who learns from the Lord and learns how to live a life for him. So you are disciples, and God is telling you directly, go. Not only that, what is it that God is calling us to and if you guys read the verse 19, we'll go there for a second. It says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So instantly we see three things. We see baptism. or Sorry, we see making disciples. We see baptism. And then we see teaching. And I ask you this question because I think it's important. Where do all those three things happen? 
at our local church. They happen at the church. They happen at the church. And some of you guys need to know this, that God's only plan for redemption, so that to seek and save the lost, the reason that he came to this world is to use the church for that mission and for that purpose. And some of us, man, we find church boring, or we think it's not that cool, or we leave youth group and we go to the main service, we're like, I'd just really rather be in youth group where I hear better music, where I'm able to relate better to the pastor, yet we fail to recognize that we are called to be a part of this. Like I said, this is not just an option for us. God has commanded us to be the body of Christ and to rally around the church and to pour our lives into the church. And if you see something wrong with the church, let your life be the solution. Instead of judging it, Instead of saying, man, this, I don't like what, it, what the pastor's saying, or I don't like this about it, I don't like the worship. And we make all these accusations and criticisms, which we're never called to do in Scripture. Rather, we're called to be obedient and let our lives affect change. The first question is not whether or not you like the church that you're at. And some of you guys, maybe, we do have to be asking the question, man, is the church pre preaching the gospel? And does the church have doctrine and theology that's, that's aligned with the word of God? But at the end of the day, we need to be asking the question, am I serving the church? Am I doing everything I can to come alongside those that are a part of the body? And am I encouraging those in the church? Because it's easy for us to have this epic view of what it, what it looks like to live a life on mission. Yet we fail to recognize that the mission is right in front of us with the church. And church attendance drops drastically, like I said, after, after high school. And I'd ask for you guys to consider, man, before you decide where you're going to college, would you find a church? Because... That's way more important. If you decide to go to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, if you decide to go to that school, I'd ask that you find a solid church in that area before you decide to go to that school. Find a body, a community to invest yourself in and live out the mission that God has called you to within the church. You're not above it. It's not beneath you. It's what you're called to. Where are we to go? Where are we to go when we preach the gospel? This brings me to, to kind of one of my final points is that oftentimes in the church and in Christianity we talk about we talk about missions, and we talk about global missions, right? And oftentimes we say, well, we're all missionaries, right? We're all missionaries where we're sharing the gospel, where we're invested in our local churches. But I would push back on that and say, no, we're not all missionaries. We're all called to live a life on mission, but there are those of us, there are those of us that are called to go 
across the world and share the gospel with those that do not have equal access to the gospel. Here's what I mean. In the book of Romans chapter 15, Paul has this, has, there's this passage where Paul says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, my work is finished. And now it's my job to go and preach the gospel where it has not yet been preached. It's a very interesting passage. Why? Because there's only a handful of churches that have been planted from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And so the question is begged, is like, is your work really done? Because there's only a handful of churches. Uh, we live in California where there's hundreds or thousands of churches. So why do you say that the work has been done? Well, Paul understood something, that when he makes disciples, when he plants a church to make disciples, what are they going to then therefore go and do? They're going to make disciples. And those disciples are going to make disciples. And then the gospel is going to spread throughout that region. And so his response is saying, I'm going to go to a place where they actually don't have equal access to the gospel. And so if everybody's a missionary, then at the same time, nobody is. Why? Because there are those that are trained to cross cultural boundaries, to learn languages, to rewrite the Bible and the word of God in languages that the Bible has not been written in yet so that they can know the gospel and there are those that their lives are dedicated to going abroad and sharing with those that do not know the Lord. Not everybody's a missionary. Everyone's called to live a life on mission. But some of us in this room, and I pray some of us in this room would consider, man, my life. Consider, man, is my life being called to go globally, to live in discomfort, to live a life that is, that is marred and, and, and covered by this zeal to share the gospel with those that don't have it in their own language. And maybe not even that, to just help people that, and to live out the gospel truth, not just speaking it, but to live it out and supplying the things that communities need, the things like good water and shelter and all these things, humanitarian efforts that clearly is a part of our mission. We're not just to, to preach the gospel, we're to live it as well, but we're also not just to live it and be a nice person and therefore people will know Jesus. It doesn't work like that. We need both. We need both. We need to preach the gospel with our words as well and with our lives. The last thing I'll end with this is why am I to go? Why? It's the most important question we can ask. Why is it important that I go and make disciples? Well, as the believer, it's the love of God that compels us. It's the love of God that compels us. If we actually believe that we have a gospel that can save. People from an eternity in hell that can actually change eternities, if we actually believe that, 
What is more loving and driven by love than to share the truth with those that have not yet heard it? When I say the love of God compels us, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the reason I say that, and I want you to understand, it's not just this, 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 um, this love for the group and for the collective, right? Like, we, we talk about love, and sometimes we think, like, God's love for all Christians. But I would ask you to consider in your own life God's love for you, the individual, the sins that he has forgiven you from, the life that he's brought you into, the fact that God has brought you from death to life. And the truth of the matter is, is that you didn't just hear that directly from the throne room of God. You heard that from somebody preaching the gospel, somebody that God's using to preach the gospel. And so in your own heart and in your own life, ask yourself the question, am I doing that for others that don't know him? And am I loving those that don't know him? By preaching the gospel to them, by sharing the gospel with them. Last verse I'll read says Romans 10, 13 through 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to believe in, the, in him of whom they have never heard? The answer to that question is they won't. The answer is they won't. They won't call upon the name of the Lord if they've never heard the gospel. And so what you need to understand is the burden falls on us. We make up these theological arguments and these arguments where it's like, well, does God really actually do this where people that haven't heard the gospel go and spend an eternity away from him? Listen, our job is to look at the word of God, recognize the burden and the need, and here it says, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Clearly, Paul knows the answer to this question and he's using it to motivate the readers to go and share the gospel hell is real i don't know if you know that but it's real and for those of you that are in jesus christ and you recognize that what greater burden is there to go and share the gospel. Why? Why do I do this? The love of God compels us. In a few moments, you guys are going to see a video. And the video is um, basically showing us this ministry that, that Hume Lake has partnered with called Jam Ministries, Jubilani Africa Ministries. And um, it's my good friend, his name is Jit, G-I-T, what an awesome name. Uh, but Jit is a missionary, and um, he basically is responsible um, for creating this missions organization that shares the gospel in his hometown, his home country of South Africa. And so what you guys will be able to see on the screens is just a little picture of his ministry and then after that, we're going to take an offering and have a time of worship.
But I encourage you guys um, to take a look at the screen. Watch this. Amen. <clears throat> hey, um, we're going to enter a time now where we're actually going to ask, we're going we're gonna to hand down um, offering baskets. And, um, you know, you guys just saw the ministry that JIT is able to, to create over in South Africa. The work that he's doing to share the gospel and partner with, with leadership organizations to help build disciples to go and share the gospel as well. And he's creating a ripple effect in South Africa with different surf, different surf organizations, different camps that he's running to help bring the gospel, not only the gospel, to live it as well by supplying the needs of the community. And so in just a few short moments, we're going we're gonna to hand out offering baskets. And I, w- I want to tell you this, you're under no obligation to give. Um, you know, we're, we're not asking, we're making you guys do any of that. Um, give out of, you know, the own, your, your own generosity. We're not asking, feel no obligation as well. But not only will this money go to JIT's organization, uh, Jubilani African Missions or Ministries, it will also go to Hume International. And a, a really quick um, um, kind of just description of Hume International. That's nothing here at the lake. This isn't um, going to our summer camps or anything like that here. But we do run summer camps in global locations. In Thailand, we've ran summer camps in um, Mexico, in these different areas, Papua New Guinea. Um, we go out and we run camps where we share the gospel and are able to um, provide something that you guys are also able to experience. And so that's where this money is heading, just so you guys know. And if you guys don't have any money, it's okay. You guys can go ahead and um, check out their website, as you guys saw up there, um, Jam Ministries or Jubilani Africa Ministries. And you guys can go ahead and give there. In this moment, as the, um, as the bags are passed, I want to encourage you guys to do two things. I want you to pray for Jit and his ministry and the work that he's doing in South Africa as he's partnering with these various organizations, and as he's working to spread the gospel and bringing college students, students not that much older than you, bringing them, training them, and sending them out to various locations in South Africa, like the Limpopo Providence and all these different areas. Pray for him and his ministry. And the second thing is I just pray that God would give you a greater burden for the lost. That God would give you a burden to share the gospel. And so if you guys could do those two things as the, as the bags are passed, that would be awesome. And then after that, we're going to end with a time of worship. Let me pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful for the work that you're doing. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would ignite in us a passion for your missions and living a life on mission. God, it can be hard for us sometimes to recognize all that is surrounding us, but God, would you remind us the command that you've given us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.